Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Okay, welcome to the Running Light podcast. My name's Bo. I'm Peter. And we're going to talk today a little bit about a passage of scripture um, that is uh, often referred to in, seems like, a lot of our counseling that we do. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And it says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to teach a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, how do you, uh, Peter, you've heard this kind of brought up quite a bit, but what are some not good ways or what's a not good way to look at this passage uh, from your perspective? Right. I, I think the the most common way that I hear it, especially with what we do, I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. there, there are some people who see it in a pure way, but... Uh, from what uh, we do and the kind of men that we tend to deal with and the kind of man that I am, uh, what we tend to read into this is like, man, you know, it, whether I'm single or married, if I'm single, I read like, okay, because I have a problem with sexual immorality, uh, that means that the solution is to get married and yeah. to have sex. And uh, for a married guy, he hears the same thing. Like, oh, okay, since I struggle with porn, if my wife puts out, enough you know then i i'll stop struggling and that's kind of the what people hear when they read that yeah and that's you know there's another passage um i'm trying to remember where it's at but it says it's better to marry than to burn with passion and yeah, i think it's, it's in, in the this section yeah <laughs> right i think it's in verse um a little further down yeah uh, um, verse verse nine verse nine yeah it's better to marry than to burn with passion speaking to the unmarried yeah so it's you know you, you kind of you, you almost get it, the idea that, hey, like you're saying, like, hey, I have a lust issue and, you know, man, I really crave sex, you know. And so because I crave sex, you know, here the, the Bible saying, hey, the remedy is to engage in sex in the covenant of marriage. And that's going to deal with it. That's going to help it out. Um, and now. What is the problem with that kind of way of thinking? Because um, it seems just from a just from a kind of a reading of it, it kind of seems like this issue that Paul's bringing up is that the answer to the temptations we have in being sexual beings is just to get married and engage in sex in marriage, and you'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's definitely what you can get from it when you when you read it, uh, and, and that's kind of the dangerous thing. And and I think usually what we need to do is you need to back up uh, before you before you read First Corinthians seven. Obviously, you got to read First Corinthians six. You know, it's not like when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he's like, hey man, I really hope that they just like take a section out of my book and just read it out of context. And that'd be really great. You know, like uh, he definitely intended them to read it like a letter. And so when we read first Corinthians six, which is the main passage that we need to look at when he gets into the topic of sexuality, because up until this point he hasn't spoken on it. 
uh, when he starts talking about sexuality, what he says in verse 15, and he's specifically speaking of people. Uh, actually, let's back up even further. Let's go to verse 12. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy both of them. Now, uh, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So the issue that was going on in, in Corinth, there's a lot, uh, but when he's getting into the sexual issue, what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 6 is their desire to have intimacy with temple prostitutes, which was the norm of the day. Uh, that was basically their porn of the day. Uh, you know, and uh, have you... I know that you've written about this this section a lot. Like, well, what do you get from this part? Yeah, well, I mean, I, what I get is in Corinth, you know, being a a, a Roman um, state, if you will, or or province, or I don't know what it would be called, but um, you know, you read about what porn was to them, and it wasn't much different than what it is today. Meaning, it's the idea of. Um, men or women uh, not only being a part of temple prostitution, so like a religious ceremony that dealt with um, sexuality as a way to worship God and, uh, and goddesses and things of that nature, um, but it also was uh, entertainment too, where people can go and view things like a voyeuristic, like kind a of voyeuristic, thing. you know, um, behavior, you know. So, and pornography obviously is just voyeurism really i mean that's what it is we're viewing people having sex right right and, and didn't they have a lot of art and stuff too yeah absolutely yeah. art i mean when pompeii you know that's the big one when they when they actually uh uh went into pompeii after the uh the big or er, uh, big volcano eruption you know what they found was like homes that had like mobile um you know little mobile um you know little chimes like wind chimes of phallics and and I mean it was that dominant in the city, you know that, um, which is so odd to us. I mean, could you imagine going into someone's house and seeing a big, large penis, you know, kind of in in a kitchen, and we're like, oh wow, you know. But it was a part of the culture. It was something that they prided themselves on. It related to their gods and their deities, and mm-hmm. and you know when you have um, different philosophies, hedonistic philosophies, and things like that, it, you know. Or you have philosophies like um, like Gnosticism, forms, forms of Gnosticism, which was a, a belief that you know the body is not really what God's uh, um, concerned about. Then you can get into the idea that hey, we can use our bodies really in any way mm. that we want, and it really has nothing to do with spirituality. It really is not a, even about that at all. So. Um, you know, so I, I mean, when I look at this, I mean, Paul's saying, hey, you have a body and God's concerned about your body. And see, this is the difference with Christianity is that God is redeeming not just your spirit, but your body. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, don't abuse your body. And this is one of the ways you can do it. It's through your sexual immorality. Right. Right. And and, and I think like if you just if you just took this one verse, uh, just just verses, you know, 12 through 14 and he gets obviously more detail and i think we're going to have uh spend a lot of time on 15 through 17 because they're awesome but mm-hmm. um just if you just took 12 through 14 you could know that chapter 7 can't mean that uh it can't mean that oh if i'm struggling with sexual immorality i should just use my wife or i should just get married 
because his argument for not being sexually immoral is he doesn't say don't be sexually immoral because it's it's naughty you know it's a it's a sin and it will make you know angels die or something like that he he says <laughs> he says don't do it because if you do it you're going to be brought under its power so mm-hmm. in Paul's mind he sees sin as a taskmaster as a slave keeper yeah and he's saying if you feed that thing it's going to bring you under its power it's going to bring you under its control he's just like yeah, uh, and he uses the the idea of gluttony as well in the yeah. same verse. And that's a good point. So we know that Paul has already, in First Corinthians six, talked about not being brought under the power of any, and we know he's referring to a culture that is very lustful. Mm. And so we can kind of equate now with really good um, confidence that he's not referring to. First uh, Corinthians seven in the way of hey this is how you deal with lust just lust after your wife <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. so it seems like lust is the issue and lust you don't want to be brought under the power of it in your sexuality and does that does that go with other passages because we see other passages in the New Testament that would kind of look at lust as a negative. Hmm. Um, you know, and I think the answer is, yeah, I would just ask people to read the book of first Peter alone. I mean, just, let's just use that pat, that book yeah. and just underline where it says lust. And you're going to find a few different places where it's going to say flee that kind of lust, you know, um, and not be brought under that subjection, you know, of it. That's part of our old nature, as it says in Ephesians chapter four, hmm. you know, so it's like. Um, so we, uh, you know, for me, I, I think now I'm getting an understanding more of First Corinthians seven mm. that Paul's not saying that, hey, you know what, if you, if you are, you know, if you lust and you have this uncontrollable lust, then the way you deal with lust is just to engage in sex. Mm. That that's the answer to fix lust. Mm. You know, what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying right now. I mean, I think that's really key. So before we even get into 1 Corinthians 7, I think that's just key to just have in our minds before we even read it uh, so that we already have that framework of the, Paul obviously can't be speaking uh, to people who are, you know, lusting like crazy. And he's like, hey, you know what you do with a heroin addict? You give him some smack, you know, and that'll help <laughs> him out. Yeah, yeah. because, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's right. And, and it's and, and that's so true, you know, um, the reason why is because, you know, you can read verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 7 and say, um, you know, but they cannot, if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Mm. And we get the idea that, okay, maybe he is he equating burning with passion and not exer- exercising self-control as this lust mm. that's in his heart. Right. You know? That's that's that. Hey, is so, you know, some people would say that some people say, hey, you know, the way you you deal with lust, you know, uh, which sounds like burning with passion and it sounds like not exercising self-control. Yeah. You know, is is he saying? But for me, I would say no, because he doesn't want you to be brought under the subjection of Mm. lust because we know lust isn't going to stay still. Mm. It's not going to stop. Right. Yeah. It's not going to turn off yeah. when you have sex with your wife. And, yeah. and that's one of the big points that I try to make all the time is that you just can't turn off right lust. You can't hit a switch. So if you lust before you get married, we just want to tell you that you're going to get married. And guess what? <laughs> yeah, you're still going to lust. And it's crazy when I have, uh, you know, students, I'm sure you've had uh, students and men you've counseled that they haven't been married more than a year. 
and they're already viewing pornography. They're already cheating on their wives, you know, and, and their wife is sick of having sex with them. So it's, it's not like you get married and it's like this sex fest and, you know, like you're never going to have a problem with lust ever again. Uh, so that, that's uh, like, like we've been talking about, that's clearly not what Paul is speaking of. And, and I think the major, uh, disconnect in people's minds when they read, you know, it's better to marry than to burn with passion is because when we read like burning with passion, we always do equate that to lust because when we ever think about passionate love, we think porn because that's our only framework in our minds for passionate sex. Good, true. Good, good point. So that's our foundation. Our right. foundation usually is in reading first Corinthians seven is we have a lustful foundation. Right. And then, and, and the unfortunate thing, and, and I hope as we get into first Corinthians, the rest of first uh, Corinthians six, uh, we'll, we'll see that passionate sex exists within uh, the marital bed. Uh, that passionate sex can exist inside the marital bed, but there's a different framework. There's a different um, motive and heart that that goes behind marital sex that actually makes it more passionate. Yeah. So uh, what do you, where do you see that in First Corinthians six? So as we keep going, uh, so this is verse fifteen. He says, "Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So we see that Paul, again, he's, he's using reasoning uh, to help us understand why, why did God, why does God care? you know, about my sexuality? Why does he care if I have sex with 10 chicks or one chick or no chicks? You know, like what, why does that even matter to God? And, and Paul's saying that sex, regardless of what our culture is saying to us, sex has a holy purpose. And, and what passages is he, is he going to right now, Bo? Um, in which section? In, in verse 17. Oh, well, he's saying he's, he's basically referring to Genesis chapter two. Right. With Adam and Eve. Right. That the two shall become one flesh. Yeah, so he, he's going all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, and he's saying that God, being God, he wants to glorify himself in his creation. Psalm 115, you know, he does all things as he pleases. He sits in the heavens and does all things as he pleases. So everything is to shine himself. And he he creates sex in such a way to actually reflect the part of his nature. Mm -hmm. uh, he creates sex in such a way to reflect a part of his nature. And, and w I know we've spoken about this in other videos, but uh, it's good to just be able to go into detail a little bit that the, the major way that sex reflects God is it reflects his oneness, his, his accord nature, his, his unity uh, that he has within himself, that the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father and the Father and Son are not the Holy Spirit, yet they are one. These three are one uh, in their unity. And now in sex, we as human beings, we have a physical representation of our triune God. I am not my wife. You know, she is not me. We are two separate people, yet we have literally, in the act of sex, we have literally become one with one another. Uh, not just that we've become one flesh in the act of marriage, which is true as well, that we have a unity now uh, in our relationship, but now we actually have a physical unity. Uh, that, that we have with one another. And that's what God's saying about himself. He says, I'm that unified. And then it's even crazier because then Paul says in verse 17, he says, uh, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. He uses the same word, one, uh, that we have a oneness with God. Now, th this is a crazy thing to, to try to wrap our minds around. You know, what does it mean? I mean, everyone would say, yeah, the Holy Spirit lives in me. God is in me. Uh, but what does that mean? 
You know, and I don't think a lot of people really understand what it means. I don't know what it means. You know, it sounds weird. But here in the act of sex, I get a picture of, oh, this is kind of what it's like. You know, God's, he's, he's one with me. You know, there's no separation. He'll never leave me and never forsake me. Uh, he's with me always to the end of the age. He is, his spirit communes with my yeah, spirit. Yeah, there's a bonding. Right. You know, with God and us. Right. As And marriage is that, or sex is the picture of it. Right, right. That's his beautiful picture. And so, um, and, and, and obviously we've spoken about this on the videos. We're not saying at all that God has intimacy with us, that God has sex with us. Yeah. Uh, we, we are saying that God creates pictures, just like when Jesus says, all who are thirsty, come unto me and drink. He's not literally holding a pitcher of water in his hand, like, yo, I, I take care <laughs> yeah. of your thirst. He's saying that your spirit thirsts yeah. and it needs me. You know, that's mm-hmm. what he's saying. That's what he's getting at. So this happens all throughout the Bible or in Ezekiel 3 where you have Ezekiel eating a scroll. You know, it's not like he's literally eating a book. You know, yeah. that would be weird. And he says it tastes good. You know, it's, that's odd. You know, it, it's that there's this hunger for the word of God yeah. is what he's getting at. And so why would sex be any different? It's a picture. Yeah. Uh, it's a picture of God. So he does lay that foundation in 1 Corinthians 6 of the holiness of marriage, mm. the purpose of marriage, um, and then our really our response to that at the end of chapter 6, which he says, don't, don't you know you were bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. Mm. So he kind of ends that section by saying, hey, this is our response to that, you know, that our bodies are holy before the Lord. Um, so lust isn't to play a part of that because lust is part of the sinful nature. Right. So lust is always something we should be fighting um, in our life just as we fight pride or other things of the flesh, the right. nature. And, and I love how he, he does that in his, his, uh, his, the verse 15 through 17 because when he's equating the two, I mean, I just need to think about, well, how does God love me? You know, God doesn't lust after me. He's not selfish towards me. He's not like, man, you know, I really want to save Peter so I could use him. Yeah. You know, I'm really lonely. I want, I want to use Peter. So I hope he gets saved. You know, it's not God's heart or mentality. You know, we serve a God who came down to human flesh. He gave up his glory. Uh, he came down, he clothed himself in human flesh. He died on a cross for our sins. So there's, there's no covetousness. There's no greediness in God's relationship with me, mm-hmm. but also there's an intense passion in God's relationship with me, which I think is the major disconnect that a lot of Christians have in their minds, where we think of God's love as like this cold, you know, like, I love God, like I love America kind of thing, you know, yeah. like it's like this ethereal weirdness, you know, do you, do you get that a lot? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think a lot of people have a disconnect because you have a lot of people that always ask questions like, hey, I don't really feel God. You know, and maybe because they don't feel God, they don't, it's, it's difficult for them to think of the passion that God has for us. Obviously, we have to believe that by faith. So when it says in like Zephaniah chapter three, you know, that he rejoices over us with singing, you know, the very intimate kind of idea, right? Where he's kind of singing a love song to us, you know, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't see that per se and I can't hear that. Um, but obviously by faith, I trust that God is passionate with me. Mm-hmm. Obviously the greatest example of Jesus's our, our God's passion for me is sending his son mm-hmm. and, and into human history, mm-hmm. um, so that I don't have to doubt his passion, mm-hmm. you know, for us. And that's what, what I love so much about this, you know, the events of Jesus's life is at the end of his life, we call that the passion week. Mm-hmm. 
you know, which is so cool, you know, because it shows us, you know, a, a, uh, that week of him being passionate for his bride, for us, you know? So when we take all that and we look at first Corinthians seven and where it says, you know, okay, now, you know, concerning your guys's question, you know, that you guys are struggling with sexual, sexual immorality, you know, should you guys, you know, not take a wife because having a wife is, you know, the idea is that maybe having a wife is unholy. It's not right. So the Corinthians write this, this letter to Paul saying, Hey, do we remain unmarried? You know, is that the, is that the right way to live? And hasn't that been like a huge staple in the Christian church? Like ever since then, right. And and Roman Catholicism, the, the idea of, man, you know, if I'm, if I'm single, you know, then I'm, I'm really living holy or, you know, even people, uh, I think you mentioned to me, like even in the fifties, it wasn't uncommon to have separate bedrooms. That's right. You know, like, you know, only have sex for procreation, that kind of deal. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's a more holy way to live. Yeah, and I, I, absolutely. I mean, Song of Solomon was definitely looked at as a very erotic book. And, hey, what does erotica have with God? You know what I mean? And that type of idea. That's for another podcast we can talk about. <laughs> but but certainly that that is a, a viewpoint that people had. I, again, I think it stems from the idea that the body is bad. Hmm. And that if we don't understand that God is redeeming our physical body and that he's going to raise it up again and he's actually going to raise it and we're going to live in our bodies um, and then we kind of tend to think, oh, well, this body sucks, so God's going to give me a new one, and so I don't really have to worry about this one or deal with it or, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. It's like I don't want to cave into sexual urges. And what I think Paul's getting at with the Corinthians is that, hey, it's okay to have to be married, and it's okay if you have the desire to be with someone, a burning desire. And let's face it, when you're when you when you are are in a community and you see someone, you know, like I see a woman or something, you know, and I go, man, dude, I really, she just, man, she really hits my heart. You know what I mean? I have I have a desire, to, and then you talk to her, and then you're like, whoa, I'm so excited. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you're like, but I can't marry her because you know I, I need to be holy. Yeah. You know. I think Paul's trying to get at that and say, hey, no, it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) You know? I mean, if you're sitting there thinking about it all the time and you're like, man, I really want to talk to her. Man, I I really want to, you know, be with her. You know, I really, you know, got all that. I want to experience life with this person. Mm -hmm. Then don't fight that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's such a beautiful way that you put it, that uh, Paul is referring to like more of a a specific desire to be with that, like a burning passion for like a specific woman. Uh, I think in C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Four Loves, when he's talking about Eros, uh, he's talking about that romantic type of love. And then he talks about the sexual kind of urge. He says, uh, really, when you're talking about the sexual kind of urge, the last thing you want, you know, speaking of a man, the last thing the man wants is a woman. He just wants sex. That's right. really all he wants. And mm-hmm. usually when I'm talking to these single guys who are, uh, who are like really, they, they would describe themselves as that, like, man, I'm burning with desire. You know, I'd be like, well, specifically towards who, you know, like, is there a girl that you, you want to marry? No. And then, you know, you talk to them for a while and you realize they just want sex. You know, that's really, that's really all they mean. They, they just want to have sex. And what they've done in their minds is they've justified it in such a way of just like, well, you know, maybe if I just get married and then it, then it all evens out. You know? Right. So it becomes using this passage wrongly can really become a a justification for really just living in a lustful state still so you can if you don't deal with lust before you're married then you're going to deal with lust within your marriage 
and your sexual life is not going to stay with your spouse. You will go to pornography. You will go to whatever other things to satisfy the lustful inclination mm. of your heart, you know. So, so we know Paul's not saying, hey, if you like to, you know, go to the, um, you know, the Roman bars and see the girlies dance and, you know, have a prostitute here or there, you know, if, if you like doing that, you know, then, hey, just get married. It's going to help you. You know, I mean, if, if Paul was saying that, he would be very naive mm-hmm. to the sinful nature. Right. You know. Right. And so, and nowhere else do we see in Paul's writing that he, he, he kind of says, hey, how do you deal with the sinful inc- inclination? Oh, well, you just feed it, like yeah. we already said. Yeah. You know, just continue to eat more and you're going to, you know, deal with your food. you will throw up and finally be like, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> you, know I mean? you know, but yeah. we're, we're told, no, we have to deal with that sinful root, you know, which is the lustful heart. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and once again, like uh, taking just these, I, I mean, uh, obviously, if you're if you're reading First Corinthians, the, the book of First Corinthians, uh, this is all leading up to the, the crescendo, the climax. And that's First Corinthians 13. Uh, where he finally uh, he finally hits the major issue, and the issue is is love, what we call agape love, um, and and I think we'll probably touch on that later. Um, but uh, obviously, when we're when we're talking about this whole idea of love, like how do you get God's love if you're feeding your selfishness? You know, how how could you possibly think that you're going to become more loving? Which is Paul's whole point. He says in First Corinthians twelve, I will show you a more excellent way. So he says in 1 Corinthians 12, like, hey, you guys are trying and trying and trying to do all these different things with spiritual gifts and prostitutes and all these different things. Let me show you a better way. And then he goes to the the, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, and he goes from there. So, I mean, it would completely destroy Paul's whole argument if he says throughout this entire book, if he's just saying, hey, you know, if you struggle with lust, just keep feeding it and, and maybe it will go away. Yeah. Uh, when his whole point is, I, I want, I don't want you to be better people. I want you to be new men, new creations in the love of God. Yeah. And with that idea and that foundation, you know, it should answer, you know, anybody's questions of like, hey, well, I, I do, you know, I, I do struggle with porn. I do, you know, desire to have sex, you know, um, should I get married? My answer to that would be no. Work on the foundation of the issues of lust that are going on in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, that, you know, marriage isn't, isn't, I wouldn't want to bring up 1 Corinthians 6 at that point, or 7 at that point, verse 9, and say, hey, yeah, yeah it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Mm-hmm. Um because then they might get the idea, obviously, that, oh, well, if I just, again, get married, it's going to deal w- with this problem. Mm. You know, and if it's selfishness not in the marriage, there's going to be selfish within the marriage. I mean, non-selfishness within the marriage. If there's selfishness outside of the marriage, there's selfishness in the marriage. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, it's like you have to look at your heart, everybody, and you have to say, hey, is my heart lusting am i struggling with pornography am i struggling with other things you know then you know let me start working on that you know and dealing with that yeah and i kind of want to i want to switch gears really quickly i think we're going to probably circle back around to that point but i want to talk to you a little bit about um how uh i mean living in our culture i I would have to say spouses in general and not just women but yeah. um how some how you've seen in your ministry some women 
um, have taken 1 Corinthians 7, the spouse of someone who struggles lustfully and how that's kind of impacted them. Yeah. Um, Specifically the one where it says, my body's not my own. Yeah, usually I think how a wife um, in in a, most of the time takes it, meaning a wife of a husband who struggles with lust, um, they take it to mean that they just have to kind of lay down and um, kind of become, I think, uh, um, I hate to say like a blow-up doll, but in a sense that's what they've become. Mm-hmm. Um, I use that kind of harsh term just to show how yuck it all is, you know, really, when you kind of square it down um, and get down again to the roots of lust and the issue of lust. Um, and, and that becomes sad because, um, you, you, you know, there's no boundaries in that kind of decision making. There's, there's, there's a wife is not going to the husband and saying, hey, you know what? You know, you're saying I need to um, lay down for you right now or, or, or in a sense have sex with you as many times as you want or any way you want or things like that um, because you're struggling with pornography or, you know, you're going to go get a prostitute or, you know, those type of things. And it's never really dealing with the sin. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's never really dealing. It's, it's fulfilling the lust of of the sin, but the Bible tells us not to fulfill the lust of the flesh, Mm. you know, so it's like in direct opposition to clear teachings that tell us, you know, to not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Mm. Um, and so that's how I've seen a lot of women kind of take that passage. Mm. Um, like this is what I have to do. This is what my husband's saying. Mm. He's coming to me with this passage Mm. and he's saying, Hey, you know, look at this passage. You are, you know, supposed, your body's not your own. It's supposed to, you know, be mine. And I'm struggling right now. I'm really struggling, you know. Um, and um, and so the the wife, you know, kind of, you know, does her thing. And again, it's like there's no dealing with the area of lust, mm. you know, in the heart. Mm. Yeah, and how have you seen it, like, long-term, like, affect, like, the wife and her heart? You know, I think I think a wife, if a wife is treated that way over a period of time, and it doesn't have to be a long period of time, um, because in, when you're naked and you're with someone, you, you pretty much know if you're being used or not in sex, um... It's it's hard not to know that, and that's why that's why people who are into just sexual behavior, like you know whether it's porn, they can almost like check out, you know, in sex because they're not really caring what the other person's so much thinking about. It's it's just about them doing their thing, mm-hmm. you know. And and but when you're when you are supposed to be in a relationship, that means something that we think of like compassion and meaningful and longevity and everything like that, especially husband and wife, you know, there is a knowledge of, of what, how you're being treated. Mm. And so if a husband says something to a wife, and I'm going to try to get specific just so we can see how this can work, but say, and I'm going to give you two examples. One of them is more harsh than the other, but they both are bad. One of them is a, a guy says to the girl, hey, you know, I really want, I really, you know, want to do anal. Anal really gets me going. You know, I really want to have that kind of intimate intimacy with you. And she, she automatically in her heart goes like, whoa, you know, like 
man, like, what is that? Like, where's that coming from? Mm. And he, he forces the issue on her, you know, and in his conversations with her, he's like, he's always going that direction with her. And he's always, and then he brings up maybe a passage like this and says, Hey, you know, your body's mine. And this really makes me excited and da, 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 you know, never really dealing with the issue of where did you get that? Where did you get the idea? That's one example of if that kind of behavior happens that over and over, and even like I said, it can just be a little bit, where there starts being a a, a chink in the trust in the relationship. Mm. Um, and then the other side of it is a, is a man or a woman, but a man, let's just say a man because we're men, we just kind of, you know, we just get a sexual urge, uh, almost like a dog you know, that's in heat and we just kind of roll over, you know, and kind of on our spouse, you know, and she's there to fulfill my needs, Hmm. you know, and I hear that a lot in the church where people say, you know, fulfill my needs. Hmm. And, and I, to me personally, I don't like that term, Hmm. um, you know, because it reminds me of that kind of idea and it's not a bad term per se, but it's just in my brain. It doesn't work. Um, you know, where, you know, I, I get quote horny like a dog or whatever. And then I just roll over and do whatever I do. And then I'm done. But my wife is sitting there going, Oh, okay. That's, that's my duty. That's my job. That's my thing. You know, I wonder if he really is into me anyway, or I wonder if he really cares for me. You know, he doesn't seem like he's very passionate towards me. He's certainly not Song of Solomon passionate towards me. Yeah. You know, he doesn't, there's no romance involved. There's yeah. no talking involved. Right, right. There might be passion, but it's not for you. Right, <laughs> right, right. There's no, there's no intimacy, um, meaning there's, intimacy doesn't happen. Sex is not intimacy. Mm. Sex is the fulfillment, the, the culmination of intimacy. Yeah, that's what it is. Right. Yeah. yeah. So if you don't understand that, if you think if you equate sex with intimacy, mm. um, I think a woman in her heart and a man in their heart too know they go, you know, I don't think this person, you know, this person doesn't really talk to me nice. This, you know, my husband's always mean to me. He always treats me like dirt, and then he kind of just wants sex and he kind of rolls on me and just kind of does his thing and then he's done. You know, and I think that's another chink in the issue of trust. Mm. So that's that's two examples of how, um, you know, this passage can be used to extremes um, and and really deflate the marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of interesting because I, I definitely see it from, uh, you know, the perspective of the spouse who's. She, you know, she's faithful, she loves God, and she's reading this passage, and she goes, oh, man, you know, if, if I really loved my husband, you know, if I really wanted to submit, this is what submission looks like. And actually, ironically, by doing that, it ends up tearing the marriage apart and destroying intimacy, yeah. uh, which is kind of like radical way to think about it. Yeah, and it. I think sometimes we fail to read that it says, and likewise, the husband doesn't not have authority over his own body, <laughs> you know, yeah. meaning my body's not my own either, hmm. you know? So it's like, but, uh, the wife has authority how to utilize my body. Hmm. So my body is not just to be, you know, um, something where I could just go, Hey, you know, I, I feel this way. I'm going to go do this, you know, but it's, it's to see how my wife wants to use my body. 
you know, and again, you start, you know, the idea is obviously, which is a radical idea, I think, when Paul wrote it, mm-hmm. but is that we mutually are looking to love, not seek our own, but to seek to fulfill each other's joy. Mm-hmm. And if that is not in the sexual act um, and in your heart, um, meaning when you approach sex, you're, the, the point of approaching sex is sure it's to fulfill a biological desire. Mm. You know, we all have that, you know, or most of us on the earth have a sexual desire. We're sexual beings, mm. but we come at that. We owe, we, we, we should have the Holy Spirit to override our fleshly nature. Hence first Corinthians chapter six, mm. you know, which is talking about not being brought under the power of any such thing. Right. Mm. And then we would be able to, live in the power of the Holy Spirit to love a person in our sexuality. Right. And I think it goes back to what you were saying earlier about the idea of Christ redeeming things. You know, it, can Christ cross redeem sex? You know, and the answer obviously for the Christian is, yeah, you know, of course it can. You know, so for a Christian, when when we're thinking about sex and sexuality and thinking about the picture of God, thinking about the picture of his church, thinking about the intimacy and the consummation of his love that he has for us, it's like, well, where is Jesus's joy most found? It's in giving, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus says, man, I, I love you guys, so I give my life. You know, this is this is love. This is, By this we know love. Uh, the son of God died for us, and we should lay down our lives for one another, 1 John three sixteen. So uh, in, in the Bible, we see the picture of Jesus' joy is in giving of himself to better others, and that's what love looks like, whereas our lust is using someone else to better ourselves. Yeah. You know, and that's that's usually how our version of love looks. Yeah, and, you know, just a, we can kind of wrap up the podcast with verse 5. It says, Don't deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. So the idea is that these people are fasting and praying. You know what I mean? That there's a spiritual um, life going on. You know, there's a God life, God consciousness going on, you know, in their life. So they're not just, you know, it's not just like, hey, we're at parties. We lust after sex. Let's get married, you know, kind of thing. And, but then it says in that they come together so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Explain that a little bit. Well, I think that the, the first thing that's really cool is to understand. I think I really didn't get it uh, when I was, you know, in my early 20s. Uh, and, and that is the fact that when you get married, you're not going to be having sex all the time. There are times where you can't have sex. You know, either your spouse is out of town or you're sick or, uh, you know, the, her time a month or she's pregnant or there are plenty and plenty of times that you're just not going to be able to have sex with one another. Uh, and that's why I like in that part where he says, you know, that there needs to be mutual consent, meaning there's an agreement between us of like we understand that we can't have sex right now. And that's okay. And what are they supposed to be doing in the meantime? Seeking God, fasting, praying, seeking the Lord, building their spiritual relationship with Jesus. And then he says, but then let them come together, uh, lest Satan come in and tempt them because of your lack of self-control. Uh, so once again, we could we could look at that passage and we could say, okay, so is Paul really saying that you lack self-control, so have intimacy? You know, So you need to have sex because uh, there's a lack of self-control. Well, I think in, in one way, uh, and, and I think the way I'd answer that, in one way, I would say yes, meaning that 
sex is a natural part of marriage. It's something that is beautiful. It's God glorifying and honoring, you know. Um, but but one thing I, we would like to clarify is that sex only honors God in joy. You know, God is not honored in sex if I'm like going into it like, man, this sucks. You know, this is terrible. I guess my body's not my own. I guess I got to give it to my wife, and this is kind of right. terrible. And I'll or, just, or man, this is the way we fight our, you know, fight temptation. You know, yeah. what a bummer. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I would rather be viewing porn, but I guess if I got to use my wife, you know, I guess, I guess it's got to happen. You know, that's, yeah. uh, that certainly doesn't honor God. That's not loving. That's not caring. It doesn't glorify God in the slightest. Um, there has to be a consummation of joy happening uh, within the marriage, that there's a beautiful, miraculous intimacy that happens between the two of you that is a joyful. I mean, it feels really, really good. God designed it that way. So um, when, he's, when he's talking about the lack of self-control, I think... Um, like I said, I think the answer to that would be yes, because when you're married, it would be really, really dumb to just say, hey, let's just not have sex. Let's just let's just never have sex because that makes us more holy. And, and Paul's saying, dude, Satan is going to get you guys. And, and I think he gets us in two ways. First of all, we'll start feeling holier than thou. Be like, oh, man, we're so good because we're not having sex. Uh, and, and secondly, it makes you kind of like... Uh, it kind of makes you like these Gnostics who are thinking the whole creation sucks. You know, we should just live celibate lives and, and, and separate ourselves from these things and look at everything as demonic. Uh, and actually in First Timothy 4, Paul calls that kind of mentality, he calls it the doctrine of demons, yeah. uh, of abstaining and, and getting away from things. Uh, but he says that these things are meant to be enjoyed. So Satan, if he's not going to get you with the lust, he'll get you with the pride. Yeah. You know, so there are many ways that Satan can trip you up in that kind of mentality of, no, 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 we're just going to abstain. Uh, and so Paul says, come together because you do lack self-control and God created marriage to be enjoyed with intimacy. Um, what, uh, what other thoughts do you have? You on know, that? I mean, I think you kind of nailed it. I mean, I think you, you, you brought up a lot of really good points on that section. You know, again, it deals, I mean, we have to look at the heart. You know, we, we always have to go back to the roots of sin and what the Bible says about sin and, you know, and then, and then kind of start from that, that foundation and then work into how this passage relates to us. Because we can't just look at this passage again without 1 Corinthians 6 and the foundation of Genesis and the foundation of the intimacy of God in us. And then look at this and just go, oh, this is, you know, this is how we deal with, with lust and that kind of thing. Where, where no, it's, it's not about that. You, I mean, and you said it really good, so I don't need to kind of add anything to that. Thanks, man. I mean, uh, when we see it in the right context, when you read 1 Corinthians 7 from a right context, from a pure context, and I do think back to Titus 1, where he says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the, unde- to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Meaning if I'm defiled and I read 1 Corinthians 7, of course I'm going to get porn out of it. Of course I'm going to get sexual immorality over it. Why? It's not there's, that there's something wrong with the passage. There's something wrong with my heart. But to a pure person, meaning someone who's seeking the heart of God and seeking the design of God and seeking to honor God, when they read 1 Corinthians 7, it becomes a really, really beautiful passage. I thank God for 1 Corinthians 7. You know, when I read it and I think, man, you know, my body is not my own. You know, it belongs to my wife. You know, I shouldn't self-gratify. I shouldn't masturbate because that's, it, this is her body. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's for her. It's, it's for her pleasure. It's for her betterment. Uh, that's what I'm supposed to do. And I think back to what Jesus said where he took the, the bread, and he says, this is my body broken for you. Where He's like, dude, my body's not my own, it's yours. He gave yeah. it freely to his bride, and I think that's beautiful. Yeah. It's so, I mean, it's a, it's awesome. Jesus is the pattern for us in everything. 
That's for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for people that are listening to the podcast, a couple things to, or one thing I want to ask you guys, you know, and, and girls, that if something were to happen where you, in your marriage, or if you're dating, in your dating relationship, where you couldn't have sex anymore, mm-hmm. there was an accident, disease, life issue, you know, is, it, what do you do? You know, is that the end? Does, do, do, how do you deal with that situation? You know, um, you know, as a Christian, um, you know, what do you think about your sex then? Does that justify now going to, you know, a, uh, a prostitute? Does it justify the self-gratification? Um, and we will do a podcast on self-gratification just to talk a little more about that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, does it, you know, and, and I'm not saying we don't stumble and we don't fall and we don't mess up. All of us do. And me and Peter are no different than you guys out there. We are not perfect at all. We stumble into porn. We stumble into self-gratification. Um, and we have. And um, so um, we certainly live a, a predominantly free life, we would say, today. Um, and, um, and we're blessed by that, you know, but it doesn't mean we don't, those, those things don't, don't happen to us, you know, um, you know, but with that said, we, we have to ask ourselves that question though. It's like, you know, do we just fall apart if we can't have sex with our spouse anymore? Um, or, you know, do we, do we justify the lust? The answer to me would be, no, we don't. We we don't buy into lust no matter what. Mm-hmm. And I pray that the Lord would give us grace um, to teach us not to go into ungodliness. Titus chapter 2, verses uh, 10 and on. Um, speak of that, looking for a blessed hope. Um, um, but that he would give us the Holy Spirit, which carries with it the, the love and self-control of Galatians chapter 5. Mm-hmm. And to be able to walk a pure life you know, holy life, you know. So we're going to wrap up the podcast with that. Um, we do want to read to you Psalm 36, 8, that says we are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give us drink from the river of your pleasures. So thanks for listening to the podcast. We'll see you guys next time.